Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. Good morning, everybody. All right, we're just going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to try to start as close to nine as possible each week. So we're just going to try to start as close to nine. I know if you've been around, you know that we have generally started around 9.15, but we have a lot to cover over these uh, next couple of of months. So um, let me pray for us, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do next. Lord Jesus, we do come before you and ask for your mercy and grace. Give us the gift of repentance and faith. Holy Spirit, may you make the word of God come alive in our hearts and in our minds so that we can love you better, that we can love others better. Help us, Jesus, to have uh, thoughts after you. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, there should be some handouts all around the room. Uh, I just spread them out. Yeah, front row, front row. I love it. I was joking with with some folks earlier that uh, the first test when you come in this room is whether you're the type of person that sits in the chairs up front or sits in the chairs in the back. So I don't know what that says about you, but it says something. Uh, That was a joke. That was a joke. Um, Okay, so you have a handout, and I'm just going to walk through it a little bit. I am Joe Brown. For those that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors around here, pastor for discipleship. Uh, And we, this is the first week in seven weeks where we're going to be talking about human sexuality. Uh, an easy topic, uh, dare I say. Um, so I wrote a question up on the board that's kind of hard and esoteric and weird, especially for a Sunday morning at 9.08. Uh, but I want to ask it and see if anyone is brave enough to try to answer this question. Uh, and if you, yeah, let, let's see if you can answer this question without any qualifications or clarification. So the question is, why do you believe what you do about human sexuality? Why do you believe what you do about human sexuality? Because God is truth and God created sexuality is one answer, okay? God created us, so he is the authority over us. Great answer, yeah? Any, anyone else? He spells it out in scripture. There you go. Okay, I, I knew that was I knew that was your voice, but I couldn't find your face. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, he spelled it out in scripture. Okay, just to be different, we are influenced by the world around us, by our upbringing, our parents, our experiences. Our experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all of us are. Uh, anyone want to disagree with anything anyone said? Yeah, influenced by the culture around us, media, family, neighbors, yeah, the relationships we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, any other thoughts? How many people are nervous about this class? Okay, okay. 
I'm in, I'm in kinship with you. How many people, how many people are excited about this class? Okay. I'm nervous about you. Um, my, my main point this morning, just to put the main point out there and then we're going to explain it and walk through it in different ways. My main point this morning is, and it's written on your handout, scripture must be our starting point on this and any issue. The word of God is our starting point on this issue and anything else. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to hold up that topic and we're going to look at it in many different angles, but that is the main theme for this morning. The word of God must be our starting point on this and any issue. And I think some of you were getting at it with the answer to this hard question up front is that we often don't do that. Dare I say, all of us don't do that. We all of us come at this from different places than just than scripture, than the word of God. So we're going to get to that. Uh, let's uh, I put this quote from Leslie Newbegin on here because this is uh, that was my main thesis for this, uh, this class. Scripture must be our starting point on this and any issue. This Leslie Newbegin quote is maybe my um, <coughs> driving force for this entire series, like all both of these months, these seven weeks when we look at this, this is my driving force. The church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave. This is very safe, right? Safe religious enclave. But to call them out into this place, call them out of the world into this safe religious enclave in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. Amen? We don't want to just uh, just be preaching to the choir here. We don't want to just be talking about these things that all of us agree with, and then we go out to the world and we interact with people who really don't agree with us, and then we're sort of thrown askew by that. Well, I guess I'm just going to go back to the church. That's safe. That place is safe. So I'll go back over there and run away from the world. We don't want that. I want this to be, to use a big word, this class is very much of an apologetics class. This class is designed for us to come learn about this issue so that we can then defend what scripture says about it to people who disagree with us. Um, my goal is mostly apologetic uh, to help us in this room to grasp a biblical view of human sexuality. And when I say that, truly a biblical view, not I don't use that term biblical view to uh, be a, a, a stand in for a conservative view. I don't mean biblical view to be a stand-in for um, a progressive view, whatever you might want to add in. I want, when I'm saying truly biblical view, you'll see in the schedule I've laid out, I want us to look at what the Bible says about this, not opinion, not tradition, not the latest research, so that we can apply it to ourselves and then uh, uh, be able to speak to it to our neighbors about these issues. Um, I'll show you in, in just a few seconds, but we're going to start each class with a case study. So when you come in here, uh, there's going to be a, a case, a question, or a statement up here on the board. And when you come in, I'm skipping around, but I'll just, I'll just tell you anyway. Every week, we're going to come in and we're going to start with a case study. 
And what I want us to do is when you come in, you know, think about it, pray about it. Um, and then when we get to get, when I gather us together, we'll pray. And then we'll break up into just little groups for just five to 10 minutes. And we'll just talk through in a safe way that case study to give you an example of how hard this is going to be if you weren't nervous enough. The case study that I was going to do today, but because of the amount of introduction stuff I have to do, we're not doing this case study. So, phew. You, can, uh, you don't have to worry about it. But the case study that I began to write up on the board, I literally began to write it up on the board and then thought, no, we don't have enough time for it, is your neighbor says to you, the Bible has been used to justify slavery. So if you think that's wrong now, then aren't you just on the wrong side of history to use the Bible to justify your homophobia? How do you respond? Now, that's hard, right? That is very hard. That question was directed exactly to me. This is not like a, I'm just, I'm not trying to like pull out like things just to make us hard. That was a question that my neighbor asked me and I had to respond. We should be able to respond to that question. I have a response to that question, but we're going to skip it for now and we'll come back to it. So ground rules. Um, I know this sounds so silly, but we really do have to lay this out for something as emotional as this topic is. Ground rule number one, what is it? Someone read it out loud. Be kind. Be kind. Uh, if you can learn anything from the Presbyterian televangelist, Mr. Rogers, <laughs> it's be kind. Uh, number two, what is it? Notice your assumptions. Don't assume motives on someone. This is one of my big things that I say to my kids a lot. Uh, don't assume a motive. Don't dismiss people. You are going to hear thoughts and ideas from other people in the room, from me, that you may disagree with. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Uh, we can we can tolerate and live with one another even when we disagree. Amen? Amen. Okay. We strive for unity in Christ, not uniformity in thought or action. And then the third ground rule, what is it? Be a learner. This is one of the things I learned from the women's ministry uh, in our church really well. They do this really well, which is when, we're in a, when, the, when the women gather together and they study scripture and they get into their small groups, one of their big ground rules is you listen, you don't immediately try to correct the person in the circle, right? This is a wonderful tool that we should all learn. So especially when you're in your little case study, little groups at the beginning of each class, um, listen to people, don't immediately correct them, be a learner, not a teacher. Or one way that I can say it, and if you forget, no, I want you to remember other things. But um, uh, I, the one way I like to say this is, don't try to convince or convict one another. Leave that up to the Holy Spirit. And don't try to catch or condemn one another. Leave that up to Satan. Okay? You with me now? Are we all in agreement? Yes. I'm taking some of your verbal yes and some of your nonverbal nods as we are all in agreement on that. Um, because of the difficult nature of this class, 
I am going to take a more firmer stance on those ground rules than I have in other times before. So if, especially in the large group, if I feel like you are not being kind or you are assuming motives or you're not, you're not noticing your assumptions or hey uh, or you're trying to be a teacher, I will tell you to stop and we'll talk after class, okay? Exactly. That's fine. That's fine. You should be nervous. All right, so uh, moving on into the handout, some housekeeping. This is all this introduction stuff, some housekeeping. So there are, at some point before chairs and people moved in here, there are little slips of paper that I scattered around the room, um, blank pieces of paper, like you know, a quarter of a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Um, what I want you to do is use that or use any other paper that you have, I don't care, uh, to write down questions or comments that may pop up throughout this class. Uh, they will pop up. Some questions or comments will. Uh, if that happens, write them down and bring them to me. Um, yeah, or yeah, or give them to Joy, or or yeah, Joy has pieces of paper that she can hand out if you want to. Thoughts or questions that you want me to know and maybe address either to or not today, but at some point during the the next six weeks over the course of these seven weeks. If you have a question or comment or a thought that you're like, Joe, we're talking about human sexuality. Let's talk about this topic specifically. It's, it's burning in me. I really want to know. Please write it down so that I know that's what people want to talk about and we can talk about it. Okay? So write that down. Related to that is uh, I'm actually having office hours on this topic. This is so amazing. I've never done this before. And uh, I created beautiful artwork on the front of your handout. It's a QR code. Um, a QR code for you Luddites in the room. You take this magic rectangle that's in your pocket, your cell phone, and you scan it. And it brings you to the web page, and you can sign up on a Sign Up Genius to come talk to me. You can come by yourself. You can come with a friend. You can come as a group. I don't care. Uh, but what I do want is for us, like we said in the Leslie Newbigin quote, I want us to be thinking about how to apply this stuff to our lives. That can, there is only so much you can do with a large group like this, right? There's only so much we can do. I would like the chance to talk to you about some of this stuff. I have, leading up to this class, I have had a lot of conversations with people who are, as we said earlier, either nervous or excited about the church doing this class. Uh, there have been some folks that have been talking to me about their own children and what those children are dealing with, what they or their friends are dealing with. Uh, this is stuff that's real, so please, 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 come talk to me on Wednesday nights or any all day on Thursday. Come talk to me. Sign it up. Um, do that. That is an easier way to do it than emailing me and then us trying to schedule a time. Just go to that QR code and do that. And then lastly is uh, books. So I am a pastor. That's why I am terrible at math. So I have no idea how many people are in this room. It's either anywhere from 10 to 300. I have copies of a book, this, A Body for the Lord, which is 
developed by our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, which has different reports on human sexuality. Most specifically, there is one report. It is called, if you want to memorize this, feel free, the Ad Interim Committee on Human Sexuality, Ad Interim Committee Report on Human Sexuality, whatever it is. Um, It's included in there. Everything that's in this book is free online, okay? But it's in a really cool binding, so that's wonderful. What I am saying is that if you show up in this class, you get a free book. Yay, good job. So I'm going to ask Joy to maybe help. uh, Actually, you know what? We'll do this after. We'll do it afterwards. At the end of the class, um, I have some copies, but not enough for everyone. But we will get more for next week. So if you show up and you didn't get a book, we'll get another one. We'll get one for you next week. Um, And if you don't have a book, I also printed out some copies of the meat of the study that's in this book. It is... The report of the Ad Interim Committee on Human Sexuality, it is these 12 statements. Um, these 12 statements. And that is, it's seven pages long. It's a lot of words, seven pages. It's a lot, but not too much. This looks like a lot, right? This looks like a lot. There's a lot in here, and it's great. Um, this is the meat of what we're going to be doing. Uh, at the end, make sure you get a book or copies of those reports. Um, And then next week when we get together, and I'm going to talk about our schedule, we will be discussing statements one and two in that report. Statement one on marriage, statement two on the image of God. So we're going to be talking about those things. Any, I'm I'm blowing through a lot. Are there any questions so far on any of that stuff? We're not, we haven't even gotten into the substance of what we want to talk about. We haven't even finished the preamble, which is the schedule. So each week, and I started, I already started with this, but um, each week our class will be broken up into three sections. As I made mention earlier, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, different, as you come in, there will be a case study issue written on the board. Think about it after we start. You are going to get together with five or six people around you. You're going to discuss it for about five to 10 minutes. Then we will come back together. I will say a few words about that case study as well after we're done. So that's section one. Section two is a Bible study. Uh, you should throw me out if I just went through all that stuff saying we want, to, we want to do a biblical study on this and then we don't actually study the Bible. So what I want to do, and you see that schedule on there, is over these six weeks, starting next week, this is total seven, this is just the first one, next, starting next week, over these six weeks, I want to look at what scripture has to say about this issue in human sexuality, starting with the creation narrative, uh, all the way down to even, you know, we'll look at some early church texts after the New Testament. We are, I mean, buckle up. We are going to look at some Hebrew and Greek words. Are you ready to do that? We are going to look at the Sodom and Gomorrah story. We are going to look at what Paul has to say about this issue in 1 Timothy. We're going to talk about these things that will be hard and uncomfortable. Are you ready? Okay. All right, so that'll be the main chunk of what we do on Sunday morning. And then the third section is we're going to, as I already made mention, 
we're going to study the 12 statements and you can see on there uh, the schedule starting next week statements one and two on marriage and the image of God if you are sitting in this room and you know how to pronounce concupiscence I'm sorry for you uh, but we will be looking at that on October 9th if you don't know what that word means you're doing great you're doing great so uh, let's look at the Bible if you turn in your handouts you will see Mark 7, 1 through 13. Um, can I ask someone to uh, begin reading this? We're going to read this whole section. So can I ask someone to begin reading it, and then you can stop at some point and someone else pick up? I'm not going to manage that. So Thank you, guys. Uh, Mark 7, 1 through 23. Uh, this is, uh, as you guys just heard, this great story of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. So, first question, why were the Pharisees angry? Yeah, the disciples weren't following the Pharisees' rules. Yeah, okay. I, I, agree, that, I agree that they were there to set a trap. Um, that's fair. So what made them rageful? What made, it, what made them angry in this situation then? Or why was this something that they were using to spring the trap? Or I'll, I'll stick with my original question. Why were they angry? Yeah, the disciples weren't following the Pharisees' laws. Pride, yeah. Yes, control. They really didn't like this Jesus guy because he seemed to not follow their rules. And that was really irritating them, yeah. They came into the situation angry. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, they came, uh, they came from Jerusalem, meaning they were coming from the Sanhedrin. They were coming from the high religious rulers to say, go get this Jesus guy. So how did Jesus respond? Fear. No, I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, we, we know of at least one Pharisee, Nicodemus, who uh, truly was struggling with some of this stuff. So I'm sure there were others. Yeah. I want to make sure that we hear this young lady's comment that Jesus Christ was, his first response to them was not, well, your, your traditions are wrong or your law is wrong, or, you know, logic dictates that your, your law is wrong. No, his first response was, what's the Bible say? Notice that. Like, he, what his first response was, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I mean, he, he sees what they're doing and immediately says, well, let's go back to Scripture. He, have you not read in the scripture? He points us back to the Bible, not to tradition, not even to emotion, uh, not to this thing of just what is most practical at the moment. He's saying, what does scripture say about this? So I'm going to come to what you guys were talking about. But first, notice my wonderful art up here. If you've been in any of my classes before, I've, I've done this uh, a few other times. Uh, what do you see up on this board? Yeah, two circles, okay? Which one's bigger? You can't see it, I know. I wish I could ri raise it up. All, if you can't see it, all you're missing is two circles. <laughs> and the top one is bigger than the, the bottom one. That's really all you're missing, okay? Yes, the, the, the top one is a lot bigger than the other one. So what I want you to see, friends, I've done this before. There's um, uh, Cornelius Van Til did this. John Frame did this. A lot of these famous theologians, if you don't know those names, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, 
This top circle is God. God in his entirety. God. Everything that is God. Everything that is the Trinitarian God. Yahweh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Everything that is beautiful and wonderful about God. All of his character, all of his being. This smaller circle is everything else. All of creation. All of creation is in this smaller circle. That includes, just make sure, that includes you. It includes me. It includes the great sun that our earth revolves around. It includes the Andromeda galaxy is somewhere in that little tiny circle. It includes Ukraine. It includes the history of mankind. It includes our sexuality. It includes all of all of us and all of creation, all of history. This is God and this is everything else. And it is really important for us to have a biblical view of everything to see that this is reality. Because the world wants you to believe that this one circle is everything. You know, the divine is sort of mixed in with it and reason and emotion. It's all together in one one big thing and we're all connected and you know how do we find out about god well we we just sort of pray and maybe our spirit sort of it, it, it gets enfolded up in his wisdom and you know i may even believe that there's a there's a a, a personal god in this worldview i may even believe that there's a personal god in this little circle um, and I can interact with him. I can feel him. He can feel me. That is what the world would have us say. Friends, brothers, sisters, this is wrong. This is not what scripture has us to see, right? How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is above everything else. And so the reason why I'm talking about this is it, this is beautiful. And I actually, I put on here maybe uh, somewhere. Oh, yeah, here's a quote. Guys, I'm sorry. I, this is a quote from John Frame. I apologize. I'm going to try not to do too many really heady, big word quotes. I, I'm going to try not to do that. But I do think this is important for us to understand. This is on page four. Scripture's our starting point. Um, I'm just going to read this little thing because it's so good. God calls us to presuppose him in all our thinking. This means that we must regard his revealed truth as more important and more certain than any other and find in it the norms or criteria that all other knowledge must meet. All right, I'm going to stop there. The reason why I'm reading this is, you know, what's the problem with this? This is true, but what's the problem? What, do you, what problem do you see? They're separate. Yes, they're separate. God is up here and we are down here. How in the world are we supposed to interact with God, right? How in the world are we supposed to know anything about him? Well, what the Bible tells us is the way we know anything about God is he reveals it. He reveals it. Revelation, right? This is super important. And that's why we're talking about scripture this morning. Revelation. John, I'm going to continue reading uh, John Frame's quote. No Christian can find fault with this message. You know, this message, this revelation. Yet all of us must admit that we need to take it more seriously. So often what passes for Christian thought, 
is secular ideas dressed up with a few biblical quotes taken out of context. I mean, I'm just going to read that again. That's, that's powerful. So often what passes for Christian thought is secular ideas in this one circle dressed up with a few biblical quotes taken out of context. We need to be far more conscious of Christ's lordship over all so that, injurious though this may be to our pride, we will be more interested in what God's word says than in what any secular thinker has to say. I think it's really important for us to see that God is overall, but he loves us enough to reveal himself. He loves us enough to reveal himself. You guys are, you guys are, are smart biblical scholars. How does God reveal himself? His word, yes. And Jesus, yes. Jesus, the great revelation, right? The image of the invisible God. Colossians says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He reveals himself. He does it, and I put, I'm not going to read all this, but there's this uh, quote from chapter one of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our denomination, our church's um, understanding of scripture, is that it says that God reveals himself in many different ways through theophanies, through uh, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. And then at some point, they all got written down in this beautiful book of the Word of God. And the Word of God is the revelation of this great God down to us. We need to quote Michael Reeves, we need the Bible to reform the church. If you know anything about I, I, uh, I've been saying all through pandemic that in all my classes and all the interactions I've been having with folks is that I am praying for revival and renewal in the church. That is what I've been praying for throughout the, the pandemic. Just how do we get revival and renewal? We just heard it last week. If you were in, this, in the uh, sermon, in the, the worship service upstairs last week about Steve, we're going to be walking through John 3. And, we're gonna, and he's praying for revival in the church. I heard about the Welsh revival. What do we, how do we get that revival? The Bible. The Bible reforms and revives us because as, I had to put a um, church father in here. As Irenaeus said, Irenaeus said, scripture is the ground and pillar of our faith. Amen. Amen. It is the ground and pillar of our faith. Uh, in this passage, I'm not, I haven't moved off from this passage in Mark 7 because I think it's really important. What Jesus is doing is he's saying that the word of God must overrule everything. He's saying, Pharisees, I'm hearing you. I'm understanding what you're saying. But what does the word of God say? And because Jesus knows the word of God better than anyone, he immediate, before he even gets to the word of God, he says, hypocrites, Right? He says hypocrites because he he's already applying scripture like Jesus is already applying scripture to the people he's talking to. He sees them and says, you're hypocrites. Uh, The Bible is our starting point. We must submit to it. And I think Jesus himself does the second person of the Trinity. He submits himself to the ancient scriptures, what he would call the scriptures of the Old Testament. We would call the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Um, So let's get back to uh, Mark 7. Because what was Jesus's point? 
So he goes back to the Bible. He goes back to Scripture. But Jesus had a point for the, for the, the Pharisees. What was it? Your hearts are the problem. Your hearts are the problem. It's not what goes out. It's not what comes in, but it's what goes out. Yes, yes. Um, I would say even before that in verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the traditions of men, right? That's what he's saying the Pharisees were doing. You're, you've left the word of God and you're holding to the, the traditions of men. Brothers and sisters, this is maybe the meat of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Or and not meat, um, the most controversial stuff that I'm going to say this morning. So buckle up. Um, Jesus says you are holding to the traditions of men more than to the commandments of God because he knows of the heart of the Pharisees. He even knows because he goes back and talks to the disciples. And I'm going to come back to what you ladies said um, about the heart. He goes and talks to, because his disciples heard what he says to the Pharisees here. And the disciples are like, I I don't get it because the Pharisees know the Bible really well, Jesus. So you I don't know. I don't understand it. So they go back and Jesus has to explain more to the disciples. That's when the stuff about the heart comes out. That's what that's during that time. But what he's saying to the Pharisees at this moment, he sees them. He knows the state of their heart and he sees that they are moralists. That's what they are in their heart. They are just moralists. They are seeking to ground their hope inside of themselves. Pharisees are really great at being repressive moralists. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that by comparing them with one of the other main antagonists of Jesus are the Sadducees. Do you guys, have you ever heard of the Sadducees? So I'm going to, I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture that might be, um, uh, it might be st- stating more than truly what scripture has to say. If that's true, correct me or I pray that the Holy Spirit moves that from your mind and your heart. Um, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees are two of the main antagonists to Jesus. The Sadducees were people who had a lot of power. They, most of them were up in the Sanhedrin. They had a lot of power. The people didn't care for the Sadducees that much. The Sadducees weren't really around. That's why when the New Testament authors were writing and Jesus was interacting, he was interacting with the Pharisees a lot because the people liked the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees actually got the job done. They were really well-liked and they made sense to the people. The Sadducees were a little bit more aloof. And what's, if you know, know your scripture, what's the one thing that the Sadducees are famous for if you know your New Testament? Not believing in the resurrection. That's, the, that's like one of the big things. They don't believe in the resurrection. Yes, yeah, so the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are foils to Jesus in many things. Um, the Sadducees were the type of folks that... Um, abandoned scripture. They said, you know what? I don't really like that. It's sort of out of date. It sort of, um, it sort of doesn't make sense to me in many ways. Um, uh, they wanted to be influential. They wanted to accommodate their theology to what sounded nice. Um, it sounded more reasonable. It sounded more logical. They were religious leaders who wanted power and wanted, um, uh, to be well-liked 
in the Roman elites. They wanted to be well-liked by people. So they took a lot of the things that were fanciful and weird in Scripture, and they got rid of it. And they are more just uh, trying to prop themselves up as reasonable, well-liked, good, solid um, uh, citizens. Uh, does this does that caricature sound a lot like a character of someone in American religious world? Uh, to, so I'm just going to say it. It sounds an awful lot like me to uh, some more of our mainline uh, liberal type of theologians. We're just going to get rid of the miraculous. We're going to get rid of the stuff that doesn't sound good, doesn't sound reasonable to the urban elites, and we're just going to you know make a stance about these are the things that I think sound nicer. So I think if I'm if I can if you will give me the leeway to uh, uh, draw this caricature between the Sadducees and more of the liberal mainstream theologians. I think it's, it's accurate in some way there. You see where I'm going. Because the Pharisees were the type of people that really loved the word of God. They loved it so much that they wanted to protect the word of God. So much that they established some other rules around it so that we wouldn't violate the word of God. The Pharisees had a good intention, I think, to the best thing. Their, their intention was, don't violate the word of God, so let's establish these other parameter fences around it so that we don't actually end up violating the word of God. Does that make sense? If you had to draw a caricature line to uh, that, to more of American religious life, what group of people does that sound like? Purity culture, hyper-fundamentalism. Uh, what, someone else said something, I forget. The church, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I would be uh, in line with what the three of you just said. I would say this sounds a lot like what evangelical church, churches are like. Um, we, can, we can fall into this trap really easily, right? Both camps are moralists. Both camps are trying to ground their faith in something other than the word of God. Something that if I just follow the right word of God, if I just follow the right tradition, the right rule, the right law, then I'll be fine. And if I see someone else violate my rule, you're out, you're out. I think everyone in this room knows what that feels like from one end or the other. This is the state of People during Jesus' time, I would say that's the state of people during now time as well. I would say the Sadducees are the type of people who were permissive moralists. Eat, drink, and be merry. Favor the world. Our experiences are best uh, because we don't experience resurrection, so I'm just getting rid of that. That doesn't even make sense. So our experiences are best. Um, our, you know, what is marketable is the best. This is moralism built on the idea that the ultimate good is what's best for the most amount of people. I mean, that's, I, I'm not trying to make a political statement. That is like the moral grounding of what uh, ancient and modern liberalism is, is, you know, John Stuart Mill, like the, you do the most, you, you do what is for the good of the most amount of people. That's like ancient liberalism. That, that, that's, that's their that's the mor morality. The other side 
is repressive moralists. And that's who these Pharisees were. Repressive moralists. The tradition of the elders. Hollow ritualism. Protection against the sins of the world. It's built on this idea that you, by yourself, can build yourself up. Maybe even stepping on those that are keeping you down so that you can build yourself up on the inside and you can be good. No matter what, they're both moralists and they're both wrong. The Pharisees placed tradition over scripture. That's what they did. Jesus was not opposed to tradition. We're going to get to that in a few weeks when we talk about John 5, 17. I came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We're going to talk about what Jesus means by that. He loved tradition. Jesus did. I mean, we know that he went and celebrated uh, Hanukkah. Uh, We know that Jesus followed tradition. Uh, The tradition of washing hands was a good thing, was it not? I mean, the tradition of washing hands was a good thing. We want to stay clean. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't good, I think every parent in this room, uh, you need to stop telling your kids to wash their hands before dinner, right? Uh, Because washing their hands is a good thing. That is a good thing. But they were enforcing it at the detriment of the word of God. And Jesus talks about this story of, you know, you give everything in the name of God or Corbin, and you do it violating Moses' command to care for your father and mother. This hollow ritualism became so important to the Pharisees that these practical laws seemed more important than the much more difficult law of God to honor your father and your mother. It's much easier to follow traditions and laws than to do the actual difficult work of honoring your father and mother. I mean, everyone in this room is a child and has a father and mother. And if you are anything like most of the people I talk to, you have a um, interesting relationship with your own father and your own mother. Am I right? Some of us have a wonderful relationship, but even those that have a wonderful relationship, it still is difficult to some to a certain extent, right? It would be much easier if you just told me, you know what, I'm just going to give money over here to the church. I did my duty to God. We're good. Mom and dad, peace. We're out. Then actually the law of God saying you need to honor those people that are jerks to you. You need to honor those people that have hurt you. The law of God tells you to do something even harder. Traditions are easy to follow. Now, here's the thing, and this is, this is uh, you know, we're coming to the end. Um, when those traditions are so far afield, it's easy to see that they're against God. I, I didn't come up with a good example of that, so I apologize. But, you know, when you come up with a tradition, like, you know, I'm going to... Um, Uh, I think the best thing for us is for our kids to play soccer eight days a week. um, And this is what we're going to be all about. And, you know, and our lives are soccer lives. If you're a soccer mom or dad in in this room, I wasn't going to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. Um, It's hard. You know, that's your new law. Your, Your new law is like, this is what we're all about. But you do it in violating, in violation of the Sabbath. Come on Sunday, on church, wherever it may be. You stop for one day a week and you honor the Lord your God 
with your worship and however you do it. That's what you do. You stop. If you want to talk about Sabbath stuff, write it down on the piece of paper. I'll talk later about that. Uh, trying to come up with an ex- example that seemed to me so uh, oddly weird um, or oddly against the Word of God. But what's harder for us is when our own traditions actually agree with the Word of God. So what I mean by that is, friends, some of us believe in something and that agrees with the Word of God, but we don't agree with it because the Word of God says it. We believe it because tradition says it. So, for example, um, Sunday school. How many people think Sunday school is a good thing? I mean, you're all in this room, so... (laughs) So that's great. I agree with you. Sunday school is a great thing. Can you just tell me what verse Sunday school is mentioned in? No? <laughs> I mean, Sunday school, Sunday school began in Britain when uh, Robert Rakes was trying to educate the poor kids around their neighborhood. And they didn't know how to read, so he said, hey, let's get together on Sunday, and we'll read. And you know what we're going to read? We're going to read the Bible. And he taught them how to read. And other church leaders said, oh, that's a really great evangelistic tool. Let's take that. And we're just going to start doing studies with poor kids all around the neighborhoods. And we're going to start reading the Bible. And they're learning how to read, and they're learning the Word of God. This is amazing. I mean, you see, all this stuff is good, right? It's a great thing. But it's gotten to a point now where if you had kids and you were going to a church, to get, you moved to a new area and you were going to get check out a church and you had children and you walked into that church and they didn't have a Sunday school, you would leave, right? You would. You'd say, no, this is, this is obviously not a real church. <laughs> I, 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 that's silly, but I say that as an example. That is an example of a tradition that is good thing that has come to be a ground of whether a church is good or not. And so I say that to say because we're going to be talking over these weeks about some really emotional issues. It is emotional for everyone in this room. It is emotional for everyone in this room. The question is, Are you coming to these issues, not from your own tradition, not from your own emotion, not from your own upbringing, but from what the Word of God says? Even, and it's it's really hard. The reason why I'm spending time on this is because, um, I'll I'll, I'll just say it, is um, uh, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago where uh, she and I were talking about this class, and she just sort of assumed that I was going to take the conservative view on this. And friends, I uh, was scandalized personally uh, that you would dare say that I took a conservative view on this. Um, I have conservative political views. I have liberal political views. I have some wacky political views if you want to talk about it. Um, I am not taking a conservative viewpoint on this issue. On this issue, I want to come and look at what the Bible says about it. And if it lines up with a conservative viewpoint, great. If it lines up with a liberal viewpoint, great. 
What does it line up most importantly? What scripture has to say? Amen? Amen. All right, so the, I, I'm, I'm, and I still have time, but you guys are, are doing amazing and great, and I need to stop. Um, so I want to say this. Uh, where are we in the handout? Um, the Pharisees agreed with the supremacy of scripture, but they didn't really trust it. They added to it because they didn't trust it. Um, this great line from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, one of the best uh, 20th century Russian authors, um, he wrote, the line between good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either. And th this is speak speaking from someone who uh, suffered under the communist regime. So he knows political party differences much more than you and I do but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. So I want to get back to what you guys were saying. Uh, what, um, when the disciples and Jesus get back together and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, can you explain to us what you meant to the Pharisees when you said, you know, you're, um, well, what you said, what you said in, in Mark 7? And he said... Verse 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Brothers and sisters, friends, uh, if you were honest, you would look at that list and say you are guilty in your heart of each and every one of them. If you were honest, you would look at them and say, I have, I have evil thoughts. I have sexually impure thoughts. I want things that don't belong to me. I hate people. I want someone who's different than my spouse. I want, I covet things and I desire them deeply in my hearts that don't belong to me. I am wicked through and through. I want to deceive people at different points. I, you know, I don't know what sensuality would be, but, you know, I sin sensually. Uh, I, I envy people. I slander people. I say, I speak poorly of people out behind their back. I have pride. I think I am better than I truly am. I am a fool. I constantly run away from God and his great wisdom. And if you're honest, you would look at all of that and say, I am sinful through and through. So this, these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some really emotional issues. We're going to be talking about sexual issues that you do not deal with. I know that to be the case, right? I mean, we're going to be talking about homosexuality. Um, we're going to talk about adultery the use of pornography, transgender issues, 
wanting to have an identity based on your sexual preferences. We're going to talk about some of those things that you in this room that I don't struggle with. I don't struggle with some of those things. I don't. We need to be very careful as we do that, that we are doing it with, to use the silly, silly illustration, when you have one finger pointing, you have three or four, three fingers pointing back, right? We need to be very careful as we talk about sexual issues that other people deal with, that we realize that these same issues, not these same, but different sexual issues we are dealing with. I'm spending a long time on this. I haven't even, um, I haven't even given to you my own definition of a sexual ethic, a biblical sexual ethic. I'm going to do that next week. I actually had that written on my handout up until this morning that I was going to print out my definition of a biblical sexual ethic. Um, And then I decided, no, I'm not going to do that this week because this week what we need to do is we need to make sure that we heed what Jesus says. Friends, we're all moralists. We're all hypocrites when it comes to these moral issues. And I say all that both to make us weary so that we can repent, but also to make us remember what is the great news of the gospel that Jesus, Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us, is the one that actually uh, tells us the truth. Like he's the one that says, hey, Pharisees, hey, disciples, you're hypocrites. This sinful stuff that you're trying to protect yourself from on the outside, it's coming from inside here. It's coming from inside here. This a beautiful quote, uh, quote from uh, Tim Keller, in spite of our efforts to be pure, to be good, to be moral, to cleanse ourselves, God sees out God sees our hearts and our hearts are full of filth. Brothers and sisters, as we talk about these things, please, please, please remember, remember that we are all moralists at heart. We're all filthy at heart. And Jesus Christ, through his kindness, brings us repentance, gives us that beautiful gift of repentance. There is hope for everyone in this room. There is hope for everyone to be free of our sexual sins. There is hope that we don't have to rest and stay in this filthiness because the Holy Spirit is purifying us, right? The Holy Spirit is working. He's moving. He's the one that's changing us, making us more and more like Jesus. That's great news. If we just, if I just left you with, well, you have filthy hearts, good luck. Or, or even just worse, like, or not worse, but what we often hear is, well, we're all sinners, so I, I can't, you know, I can't say anything good. I can't say anything good. You know, we're all sinners. Well, that's not true either, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit is working inside of our spirit. So yes, we need to constantly have a look at the sin in our hearts and repent. But Jesus loves us enough to reveal the beautiful, great God. So as we talk about all these issues, please remember that our hope is not found even in our acknowledgement of our sin, but our hope is found in Jesus Christ who cleanses us from our sin. Sexual sin, prideful sin, judgmental sin, all that stuff. So if you're ready for that, come back next week. If you're not ready for that, I will pray for you. In fact, I'm going to pray for us right now.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you heal us. We thank you that your kindness leads us to repentance. And we thank you that your kingdom, that your kingdom is coming and is here now. We pray, Holy Spirit, for our brothers and sisters who are, um, who are struggling with sexual sins. Uh, we pray, Jesus, that you uh, walk beside them, that you free them from the sin that so easily entangles We pray that you give them the great gift of repentance and the great gift of faith to see that your your beautiful, holy word of God reveals your beauty and your holiness. And we pray, Lord, for those of us that don't see our sexuality so poignantly, I pray, Lord God, that you make it clear to us how we can walk alongside our brothers and our sisters? How can we have compassion? How can we have mercy? How can we, in your own words, how can we love our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? We pray that you give us the gift to do that. Lord Jesus, help us. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen. All right. We're done for today. But before you leave, if you weren't here at the beginning, remember, come get a book. I'll come. We'll bring them over to the door. Um, And if you don't get a book because there's not enough copies, um, we'll have more copies next week when you come back.